Parks Radio. We're in the Rona Report. We have Lenise Stevenson today. Hey, Miss Lenise. Hello. How are you? We're good. How are you? That's what we want to talk about. How are you in this space, in this virus, in this event that we're going through? How are you feeling? I am feeling great this week. However, if you asked me um, last week or the week before, my response would have been vastly different. Okay. And why are you feeling so much greater this week because I remember you were traveling and you were like on the plane in the airport by yourself I remember some of that right yes so so I fly around the country advocating for educational justice so Mm. in my daily life I am either jumping on a flight uh, presenting to um, superintendents of school districts or speaking about my research and so my life um, was very fast before very fast paced and um my primary mode of transportation is an airplane. And so when um, COVID-19 appeared in the United States, um, it really put a damper in all of my plans. Um, All I could think about was all of the meetings I had scheduled, everything that I was supposed to do that I was no longer able to do. And so um, I had to quickly regroup and figure out how I was going to be able to do my daily work um, here and, you know, in my house. So um, for the first week or so, I was completely in shock, like most people. Um, I had no idea what was going on, um, how severe the, um, well, we didn't know it was a pandemic at that time, but how severe um, the disease was. And mm-hmm. when all of the news really started to um, tell the truth about the pandemic. That is when I went into shock because um, I thought about all of the students who I advocate for, who are impacted by poverty, who disproportionately are denied access to so many things, healthcare. They are food insecure, financially insecure. And their families are just trying to hold on. And that's on a good day. So I became um, very sad about that. And my, um, my focus shifted from me and my well-being to the well-being of all of the students across the country. Hmm. Um, my son is 16 years old. And for him, he wanted answers. He wanted to understand what was going on because everything started to happen so fast. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have all the answers, of course. And even though I'm a researcher um, at Hopkins, that was beyond my capacity. So um, what I had to do was try to use the research skills that I have to figure out what really was going on. So I started to read all of the case studies that was um, out on Google Scholar that was just published to really try to wrap my mind around what was going on. All right, let's give a little context to the people because you said that you travel around the country advocating for equitable educational justice. Did I get that right? Or, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. And you do this through a company or is this your own business or you um, do you write curricula? What is that? What is the application of that? Absolutely. So I'm partnership director for Equal Opportunity Schools. I am also CEO of a company called um, CARE. Mm -hmm. And what we focus on is educational equity 
and educational justice in schools. So when I talk about advocating for educational justice for students, I'm specifically focused on high school students and those college preparatory courses that they're typically did not access to. So we want kids to be able to go to college, but we're not giving them the resources and the instruction that they need in order to be successful. So um, when I talk about the students, I'm talking about the students who are in their last few years of high school who really need as much um, resources and support in order to prepare for life. Mm-hmm. And a lot of them are just hanging on by strings already, you know, and I thought about the data with, you know, the student dropout rate and I mean, to get them to come to school and thrive was enough. But when this happened, it just changed the face of education. Mm. And we really were able to see the disparities in education. Um, You know, we expect or education is supposed to be free and appropriate for all students, but we know that it's not. And so now those students who were already challenged with um, just accessing education in the traditional way, they now are being denied access as a result of the online learning platform. Ooh, you have just said it. And that was my, you were segueing into my next question. Like, you know, the presence now is to get kids back in school, get them online. Um, I don't know if there's been a consideration for people's propensity to even have a computer, um, to even have the bandwidth in the area to support a computer. And have they thought about everyone's situation? Because you can just say online, but not everyone has the propensity to get online. And Absolutely. Yeah, we're not talking about impoverished kids or homeless kids or kids in shelters. I mean, this is something that no one has, I think we're moving so fast to get them back that we haven't looked at all avenues. And what do you think about that? So what I have seen um, is that the districts, um, the municipalities that have a lot of resources were able to shift and support um, their students very well. So, and the thing, let, let me just take a step back for a second. What I have seen over the last three weeks is the playing field, the equitable playing field that should have been there all along. And it really saddened me because if we had the resources to provide every student with Internet access, with computers, why did it take a pandemic for us to do what was right? These are for districts who have access, but then you have districts who really don't have the resources. So they're financially poor, right? And they're resource poor. And so I'm looking at some of our inner city school districts who are trying to, they were, their uh, computer to student ratio, I'm sorry, their student to computer ratio was four to one, meaning that Mm. they had a computer for every four students. So now we need a computer for every single student. Where are they going to come from? Is this like Baltimore City? This is is, Baltimore City is is a good example um, about it. Today, the superintendent um, went on National Public Radio and she spoke directly about this challenge. And Mm -hmm. so when we talk about just the allocation of resources across districts within Maryland, it's Mm -hmm. not equitable. Mm 
It's not equitable. Yep. Um, and that's why I'm not the consideration for the inequitable past has to hamper this future that we're talking about online and, and school starts tomorrow or next week or whenever. But I'm not sure if we're going to, we're going to lose some children uh, when it comes to education. And we got to be very careful that our life is so chaotic and all children have really, or young people have at this moment in school. Absolutely. Um, I, I was an educator for 17 years before okay. um, I left the education system to work on it. And by far, school was the stabilizing factor in a lot of students' lives, sure. even for students who have a lot of resources. Mm -hmm. Schools are consistent. Mm -hmm. Students know what to expect. Mm -hmm. They find adults in that building who care about them, if they're lucky. But for the most part, they know that every single day they're going to be fed. Their basic needs are going to be met. They're going to be safe within reason. Mm -hmm. And when you take that away from kids. And socialization. Don't forget about oh, that. Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. That socialization absolutely. is key for them. Absolutely. Um, but when I think of socialization, um, I don't think of it in the context of how we as adults socialize. Mm -hmm. um, because Remember, our kids are digital natives. So the way in which they socialize is online a lot of times. When I was a teacher, I would see students literally sitting next to each other and still texting each other, which I don't even understand that culture. <laughs> um, but granted, there are some students who don't have access to, to cell phones, right? So yeah. they depended on that face-to-face -face interaction. And we talk about how important that is um, and it is a marketable skill. Um, a soft skill for career readiness. So I think mm -hmm. about all of those things. But right now, I just am a little worried um, about the families, the families who have been impacted. And the way in which this pandemic um, really has played out, it has touched us all. Mm -hmm. And when you talk about people who thought that they were going to go back to work, they worked, you know, they were a manager at um, a clothing store in the mall, they were doing mm -hmm. well. Now their store is closed. Mm -hmm. And you know, how are they going to take care of their families? You know what I mean? This is a, I'm telling you, we are not built for this. It's, this is like collateral damage. Like, okay, you go, you can't go to work. Your child doesn't go to school. So there's no money coming in. The children are home. So they're eating more. I mean, it's just so many calamities on top of then what are we going to do afterwards? How are you going to get through this? It's, it's, it's a lot to digest. And then you have this killer around you that's silent. You don't know who has it. You have this false messaging from the federal government. Um, you don't really know what's going on. It's, you just don't know. It's a lot. It's, it's, it's a lot for anyone to digest. So children I know are like, what is going on? Absolutely. Um, and so, like I said in the very beginning, if you would have asked me two weeks ago how I felt, um, that would have been my response, the explanation exactly. that I gave. And yeah. so for me, I don't wait for the Calvary to come and save me. Mm. I am a part of that Calvary. I go and I help people. And so after I got over the fear, the uncertainty, I immediately transitioned to compassion. I know that I could not stop people suffering, but I could give of my natural gifts to help in any way possible. And so the very first thing that I did um, 
was I started producing videos to really talk to people and empower them to move from an emotionally paralyzing state to um, a state of just adjustment because Mm -hmm. we can't think our immune systems can't be strong. We cannot be healthy when we are in a state of paralysis because of fear. And so I started to speak to the hearts and minds of my um, family first, my son, of course, but then all of my friends and my social media followers. And um, from there, I looked at some of the needs that I kept seeing on my um, my newsfeed. One of them was parents just needed help trying to figure out how to teach their children. And so I decided that I was going to launch a, um, it's, it's pretty funny, actually. Um, I call it a homeschool all staff meeting. So mm-hmm. it's going to be a weekly meeting for parents who really um, need to vent, who need support, who need strategies. Because I'm a social science researcher and my um, focus is education, I'm able mm-hmm. to give them research-based practices but in a practical way so that they can implement strategies the next day for their students. I also um, gave away book bags, um, school supplies, curriculum, whatever I could possibly do in order to support the needs of um, parents right now. And so once I began to do that, I immediately transitioned from a place of helplessness um, to a place of strength and courage. Mm. And that is really what has helped me. Amazing. That, that is awesome. Listen, I, I am virtually impressed. I'm telling you. I'm impressed from afar. Thank you. <laughs> I am. I mean, that's awesome, right, Jay? I mean, that is awesome. So, <laughs> go ahead, Jay. One of the things that I, I was teaching earlier today with some grad students, and they are working on plans to integrate the arts into um, the home learning of the students who used to come to their after school programs. So they also had a lot of innovative ways to engage the students and provide resources for parents to help them learn and work in ways that are also fun and creative because the students who were going to these after school arts programs, um, they look forward to that part of the process. So just making it fun and engaging and giving them a sense of community at the same time is is really important. I'm glad you brought up that point. Um, Adults need that, too. Mm -hmm. So when I was trying to uh, take all the um, proactive measures to ensure that I was ready for the stay at home order that I knew was imminent. Right. I knew it was coming. Mm -hmm. um, I decided to buy a lot of arts and crafts. But the, the uh, arts and crafts that I focused on were ones that I could, um, I'm not, first of all, I'm not a great painter nor an artist, but I am always willing to give whatever I can, right? So I decided to focus on mandala rocks. So I bought um, some pond rocks, they're black rocks, and um, mandala rocks are like, uh, rocks where you can create little patterns and you can write nice messages on them. Mm. So I decided that um, I wanted to create a pool of 200 mandala rocks um, by creating one a day um, with a message of hope, love, peace, faith, 
um, for the children at the Johns Hopkins Children's Center. Hmm. And I realized that when I started to create the rocks, I was once again cultivating compassion and gratitude. I started to think about all of the blessings that I have in my life that I can give to others. And I shared the pictures on social media. And so a lot of the parents were like, oh my gosh, that's a great idea. So it also helped parents to figure out simple ways, really cost-effective ways in Mm -hmm. order to give their children um, something creative to do while also having them understand their social responsibility. And so that was a really good idea um, that I shared as well. Sound like you have taken this time, flipped it, and you're being very resourceful. I just love what I'm hearing now from us doing this, people's creativity and how they're addressing this and trying to make inspire people while they're doing this. It's, this this Rona has brought out some stuff from us that we had dormant, that we made we might have needed to come out. So um, I'm impressed with what people are creating. What you're doing is amazing. Yeah, and, I think of it like being a caterpillar, um, going into your cocoon and coming out and, you know, being something new and beautiful. We cannot come out of this experience and think that we're going to live life the same way. It's impossible. Impossible. There you go. That normal is gone. So gone. I mean, it is so, it's almost extinct and we've only been doing this for a week or two. Yeah. Then normal is over and we don't feel normal. Um, Even when we're around each other, we're looking at each other, somebody cough, we're running. So, you know, we, we don't feel normal. So it's, 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 it can't, the new normal is what we're creating. (laughs) And so I did not want to feel that way. I didn't want to go around people and not feel connected. I believe that we should have physical distance and Mm -hmm. social connection. And so that was one of the other reasons why I decided to read those studies that were coming out about COVID-19, because I wanted to understand exactly how it was transmitted. Mm -hmm. But I also wanted to understand what I could still do. I don't look at the glass as half empty. I'm always looking at it as half full. And what I recognized was um, because a lot of people see me and know I'm a researcher at Hopkins, they expected me, like I said, to have all the answers. And I did study epidemiology. I had virology classes. I studied genetic engineering, but I still did not know how this virus um, behaved. So I decided to enroll in an epidemiology class at Johns Hopkins University. So right now I am studying um, COVID-19, well, the epidemic COVID-19, but uh, SARS-CoV-2, in order to combat some of the misinformation that has been shared to really emotionally paralyze our people. And so another way that I am helping my community is by sharing truth And with that truth, sharing the exact resources where I got the information. And that by far has made the biggest difference because instead of people sharing um, or spreading information that was not factual, they now can combat that information with something that actually is factual. Mm, That's amazing. You better stop it. You, uh, that's amazing. And you enrolled in the class. Amazing. Amazing. So you're getting firsthand. We might have to have you back to give us an update on, because you, you come in with some knowledge. So we might have to ha- have you give a, a few reports. 
absolutely. Give us a little breakdown of, um, of this virus, its movements, and things like that. But also, you said you're a researcher at uh, Hopkins, so expound on that a little. We need to talk about that before we get out of here. You said you, so you're in school too. Yes. So whew, I know what? as if I can fit anything else in my life, right? <laughs> so go ahead. Yeah. So I'm earning my doctorate right now um, at Johns Hopkins University. Um, mm-hmm. It's a doctor of education in entrepreneurial leadership and education. And so what we're really doing is using um, business practices in order to disrupt the inequities in education. So everything that I do in my research and I focus on student belonging. The reasons why students either walk into buildings and feel that they belong there, people like them belong there, will be accepted and respected and valued, or why when they walk into a building, they feel um, defeated, they feel negatively stereotyped. And so my research really focuses on that, and I am creating systems of opportunity to ensure that the structures in education not just meet the academic needs of students, but meet the socio and emotional needs of students um, and the belonging needs of students. So, yes, I am earning my doctorate now as well. <laughs> amazing. Amazing. Um, you're amazing, Ms. Lee. We, You know, you were scheduled to come in. We have to have a bigger conversation with you, I see. This is, a, this is only a, a test <laughs> that's because you're doing so much and and I just love your creativity when it comes to the um, how you react to this this virus or this event that we're in and the things you're creating for children so we need to have you back but in studio but definitely I think you need to do you need to do some more run reports what do you think G you need to come back and give us well, some well I mean you know she, she is very busy but we would um, Not right now. <laughs> no one can remember. Um, absolutely, I would love to hear more about the projects and the way and the experiences uh, that you're having um, implementing these ideas in the community and the feedback and maybe even seeing some of the artwork and the, uh, the things that are that you've been creating. It'd be, it'd be cool. Yeah, it would be cool. So let's get a um, LWT from you. Um, it's the last will and testament. So that is, you know, the jewel, something to inspire the people. You might have a talent that you want to leave with us, some spoken word. I don't know. So anything that you could leave with the people to inspire them, Sister Denise, let's do that. So if I were to think of something that I could leave the audience with, It is that in the face of severe sadness, the human spirit always shines. Mm -hmm. We are the most creative and genius people. And in this deep, dark time, which is just temporary, we are seeing the best sides of humanity. And if you have an opportunity to select what you pay attention to, have an overdose on all of the awe-inspiring, positive miracles that are happening right now. We have choices in what we pay attention to. Focus your mind, your attention, your heart on those positive things because that right there is going to re-energize us that is going to give us hope. That's all we have. And so that's what I would leave them with. Amazing. We love your passion. G. 
Once again, thank you so much for taking some time with us this afternoon. We appreciate your insights and your experiences that you've shared with the audience. And if you are listening right now and you want to hear more voices in the Ronan Report, you can find them at blackboxradio.com. That's B-L-A-K-B-O-X-X-R-A-D-I-O.com. So you can find the Ronan Report and all the other interviews that we have done right there. You can also find Black Box Radio on Facebook and Instagram at Black Box Radio. Yes. Well, um, this is the Rona Report. And Sister Ladice, I want to um, second what uh, G said. We really appreciate you. Your creativity is amazing. Um, keep being awesome. Keep creating for these children. We need educational equity and justice. We need that. So um, keep doing that. Stay safe in these times. And yes, and it was such a pleasure to share this space and time with you as well. And you got to come back. You got to come back. We're in studio when we when we get back in studio. All right. All right. So this is the uh, Ronald Report 4320. Lenise Stevenson, Black Box Radio. We out. Peace.